join me, if you would, this morning in the book of Genesis. Now, that should not be hard to find, right? Genesis chapter number 18, if you'll join me there. And then in just a little bit, I'm going to ask you to join me in Ephesians chapter number 4. So I'll give you a heads up and allow you to get over there. And uh, you can put your finger there or somebody else's finger there and just hold your place. We'll get there in just a little bit, okay? We'll begin in Genesis chapter 18, however. And uh, and so if you get over there this morning, we'd appreciate that. Last week, we kind of introduced our theme for 2024. <clears throat> and uh, we, we selected the theme of hometown focus. We began to unpack that. You remember? We were here last week. We began unpacking that. We, we kind of said this. What we'd like to do this year, 2024, is focus uh, our attention on our hometown. And what that means for us is we want to emphasize and focus uh, our attention on our families this year and our church this year in our community this year. And a lot of times we get busy reaching the world and reaching others, and um, sometimes we overlook our home, our hometown. And so we wanna focus attention this year on our families, on our church, Open Bible, and then on our community right here in Williamstown, our county, I would say this, our Jerusalem and our Samaria, right? And that's what we're going to do. So this morning, I want to begin this. I want to begin focusing our attention on family, on family. And I'm going to lay a foundation this morning. And we're going to talk about this uh, for a few weeks. And then we're going to jump over to the church and talk about church for a few weeks. And then we're going to jump into community, talk about our community for a few weeks. And then we're going to recycle, go back and talk about the family for a little bit. And come back and talk about church for a little bit. And talk about community for a little bit. And before you know it, uh, it's going to be 2025. Amen? And we're all going to be in heaven. Praise the Lord. Now, I don't know about that, but it will be 2025 pretty soon. So that's where I want to focus our attention. Now, uh, play along with me, if you would, this morning. Just get comfortable for a little bit and give me a little bit of, uh, just give me a little lead way. If, If I were to ask you this morning to rate your family... If I were to ask you to rate your family, how would you rate your family? Now, let, let, me, let me give you some more information. I would say this, uh, in light of God's desire for our family, how would we rate our family? Did you hear that? And so, uh, on a scale of one to ten, in light of what God wants for your family, and of course, it's got to be based upon what you know, right? Because as you grow in the Lord, you begin to learn other things. But on a scale of 1 to 10, as you look at your family, not church family, your family, how would you rate your family? How would you rate your family? In light of what God would have us to be or what God would have us to do, how would you rate your family on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 being not so good, 10 being, well, we're doing pretty good. Huh? Let me, let me uh, ask you this question, follow-up question. If I were to ask you to get a piece of paper out, take a pen, get a piece of paper, and in just a few words, in just a few words, describe for us your family, what would that look like? If I said, right now, just get a piece of paper out, and write, in just a couple words, 
how would you describe your family? What would that look like? Um, would, you be able to, would you be able to write uh, words like this? Um, I, I believe my family is spiritual. I believe my family is unified. I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about your family. I believe my family is, is close and connected. I believe my family is growing in the Lord. I believe my, we, we have a warm family. Would you be able to write stuff like that or otherwise? Huh? Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this. How about if I were to ask your, your kids and not having to sign their name on the piece of paper to do the same? Would you describe for, for us your family? Uh, nobody's going to know who it is. Would you describe your family in just a few words? Would they be positive in, in the description or not so positive in the description? How about if we were to ask the people closest to you? You know, your relatives or your friends, people who know you, know your family, to do the same, to describe, describe for me such and such family. How, how in, in just a few words, and nobody's going to know it. You don't have to sign your name to it. How would you describe that family? Are you with me? Uh, we hear all the time the gory statistics about family, right? Most of the time when a, a preacher, pastor, teacher gets up and speaks about the family, they get our attention by listing for us all the negative statistics about the family. You know, all the crime and all the divorce rates and all the single parent dwellings and all. And I, I get tired of hearing that. Yeah. Because honestly, that doesn't do anything for me other than make me negative. Yeah. Causes me to say, boy, it's a mess. And so that's not my intention at all in our series. In fact, what I want us to do is focus attention on Bible principles that will help us to strengthen our families, right? I mean, all of us, listen, we live in the same world. We maybe watch the same news, read the same papers, hear the same things, experience the same things, and so we don't really need to be told what a mess this world is that we live in. What we need is, we, what we need is we need some help, we need some Bible on how to keep our family, my family, your family, our family, strong. Amen. And so that's what I want to do uh, in, in our series on Hometown Focus, right? And talk about the church. Oh, man, churches are a mess today. And we can go on and on and on and on and on. I don't want to do that. I want to say, hey, how can we make Open Bible to, how can we, the best church it could be? We may not be like the church down the road or up the street, but we can be the best we can be. Right? And, and we, could, we can have members who can't wait to get here, love being uh, a member here, and talk about it all the time. Come visit my church. You want to see what's happening at my church. Correct? So that's what I want our focus to be, working to strengthen our family, our church, and our community. Amen? So let's look at this text. Genesis chapter number 18. Uh, we won't go back to verse number 1 or down, but in this text of Scripture... What you find is um, God making that promise to Abraham and to Sarah that they're going to have a child. Yeah. And at this point in time, uh, they're up in age. 
They're probably older than the oldest person in this church, right? I'm not sure how old the oldest person in this church is, but they're not as old as Abraham and Sarah are at this point in time in their life. And what happens is when word is given in chapter number 18, and to her, I mean, listen, we don't criticize her for this, but she laughed when she heard this. You know, she heard that, you know, they're going to have a child, and then she snickered simply because they were old. In fact, too old for something like that to take place. She thought about her husband, Abraham, and she thought about herself and her cycle. I mean, she was well past her cycle of having a child. Nonetheless, this is what God was going to do. And if you move on down in the text in chapter number 18, you begin to see in verse number 18 this, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now look at verse 19. Here's my text. He says, for I know him. God speaking. I know him. I know him. And here's what he knows, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall, read that with me, keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. That's a great passage of Scripture. The Lord says this about Abraham, I know him, and, and I've chosen him. Look here, I've chosen him because I know him, and I know that he will, he will command his children and his household after him. And they will what? Look at it. They will follow the way of the Lord. I said, look at it, and they turned it off. God, man, you guys are terrible. Why are you tempting these people like that? They, they will keep, they shall keep the way of the Lord. Isn't, isn't that awesome? I know him. Now, let me say something about that word command. Are you with me? There's a vast difference between command and demand, right? It didn't say this. Uh, the Lord didn't say, I know him, that he will demand his children and his household after him. No, no. He specifically used the word command. And there's a difference. Uh, think about respect, right? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Don't start singing. <laughs> I almost broke out in song. Give my Aretha Franklin imitation. <laughs> you think about respect for a second. And there are some people who would demand respect. And in other words, what they're saying, what that means is simply this. They come along and they would say this, you will respect me. Amen. Look up here for a second. Now, we're friends, right? Has anybody ever said that to you? Your parents ever said that to you? Hey, son, you will respect me. Or maybe a teacher. Did you ever have a teacher say to you, hey, young man, hey, young lady, you will respect me. You know what they're doing? They are demanding. They're demanding that we respect them. Uh, to command respect, on the other hand, is, is kind of like this. It's to have others observe and admire your actions. And willingly, out of their own volition, respect you. Are you with me? How many of us would rather have command or demand when it comes to respect? How many of us would rather have people admire us by observing our actions, our behavior, our deportment, and, and willingly respect us. Huh? 
Look here, I believe every word in the Bible was placed there on purpose. And it's perfect. Our Bible is perfect. Inerrant, infallible, absolutely perfect. And the words chosen are chosen on purpose. And he didn't say, I know him and I appreciate him because he will demand that his kids and his house. No, he said this. Now pay attention right here, please. He said this, I know him. He is going to set an example. This is big. This is big. He's going to set an example. And by his, through his example, his household, his children, and his uh, household will follow him. Yeah. Huh? Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't times when Abraham didn't lay down the law. How many of us as parents know there's been times when we've had to lay down the law? Come on, come on. As much as we want to be gracious, as much as we've learned through experience that being a tyrant really, it really doesn't bid well, huh? I mean, you, if you're a tyrant, usually your children will not be close to you. But you can lay down the law and still be gracious, Right? I mean, you can set, you can set the, the playing field. You can establish boundaries, right? And you're still, children still respect. Why? Because you, you, you've taken them in consideration, and you yourself are living inside those boundaries. You're setting an example that your, your family can observe, whether it's a husband or a wife or your children. They can observe that and willingly, willingly follow. I like that. He will command his family, his children, and his family. I like that. Now, hold on to that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I'm building a foundation today for the next couple of weeks. And I want you to get this. Did you ever, did you ever hear chatter? Go ahead, guys. Flip this, flip this screen. Did you ever hear chatter about culture? We talk about culture a lot, don't we? We were talking about it on Wednesday night. How many of you have been with us on Wednesday night in our Bible study? It's been rich. In, in uh, Ruth chapter number one, let me just give you a little something. In Ruth chapter number one, the Bible starts out by saying this, uh, Ruth and Elimelech and, and Naomi and their two sons and Ruth and Orpah lived during the time of the judges. The Bible goes out of its way, God goes out of its way to put that statement in verse number one. And here's the reason why. Because God wanted us to understand in reading it, the culture that uh, Elimelech, Naomi, and Ruth, and Orpah, by the way, it's not Oprah, right? It's Orpah. He wanted us to understand the culture they lived in. And here's the thing, when you look at that statement, pay attention here, when you look at that statement, um, they lived during the time of the judges, you must attach this comment or this description. When every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Are you with me? So, uh, Elimelech and Naomi and uh, the whole crowd, the whole gang, lived during a time when every man did that which was right in their own eyes. And here's what I did. I... I took that statement and I applied it this way, where everyone did what they thought was best. Everyone did what they thought was best. And when you read that uh, story, Elimelech moves his family out of Bethlehem and he takes them to Moab. 
If you know anything about Bible, you know this in the Old Testament, God forbade his people to have anything to do with the Moabites. So here's Elimelech. Elimelech is a man. His name means God is my judge. God is my king. And because there's a famine in Bethlehem, he, living during the time of the judges, when every man did that which was right in their own eyes, he leans to his own understanding and says, I think I know what's best for my family. And he takes his family from Bethlehem, the house of bread, to Moab, God's wash pot. And, and, and somebody's got to ask this question. Somebody say, Pastor, how did that turn out for him? Well, verse 3, I mean, you can't even get past the first chapter. In verse number 3, it tells us Elimelech dies. Where did he die? He died in Moab, and he leaves behind his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilian. Huh? Culture. He lived, now pay attention, he lived during a time where the culture was, I think I know what's best for my family. Hello? Even though he was a believer, even though his parents named him Elimelech, God is my king, he lives his life under this philosophy, with this attitude, I think I know what's best. You ought to come Wednesday nights. We're having a great, great time in that Bible study. But I brought that up because I wanted to talk just for a minute about culture, because culture encompasses everything. Churches have culture, right? There's a culture at Open Bible. And you know, your home has a culture, right? Yeah. What is culture? Let me define it for you. Look at the screen. Here's culture by definition. It's been defined as the behaviors and beliefs and values of a particular society or group or tribe or organization, right? And so, what it defines is our behaviors and our beliefs, our value system as a church or as a family or as a society. That's our culture, right? So, think about this for a second. What is the culture of your home? The behaviors, the beliefs, and the values of your home. Huh? Let me ask you this. Are they consistent with Scripture? Is the culture of your home consistent with Scripture? Huh? I mean, if I were to come into your home, would I see the behavior, the beliefs, and the values of your home consistent? If I just hung out at your house for a month and you didn't even know I was there, huh? I mean, the only way you would know is because in the morning there'd be food missing, There'd be coffee brewing. What's going on here? Huh? ESPN would be left on overnight. But if I, and if I were to just try to evaluate the culture of your home, the behaviors, the beliefs, and the values, would they be, cons- are you paying attention? Would they be consistent with Scripture? Huh? At least one person thought it was good. I know you don't like to respond. That's okay. I'm, I'm kind of learning you. I don't like it, but I'm learning you. Look at this. Flip it. Culture affects the way people think, feel, express themselves, and interact with others. Did you get that? I see a couple people taking pictures of that. You ought to. 
We don't realize, we downplay things. We talk about it all the time, but I don't think we understand the culture. What is it? it it's, it's the way we behave. It's the way we think. It's what, you know, what we believe. It's what's important to us. And our culture will affect the way we think, feel, express, and interact with others. Huh? If you don't get it this morning, I'm going to repeat this next week. I want you to get this. This is big. Uh, I'm going to probably mention this same thing when we, when we talk a little bit about the church, because every church, right, every church, behaviors, beliefs, values, and I would hope that we would say here at Open Bible that our beliefs and our behaviors and our values are consistent with Scripture because our beliefs and our, be, our, our behaviors, our beliefs and our values will affect the way we think and feel, how we interact, right? And the same thing at home, at, at our homes. I know this. I know that we would all like to say and believe that our home, in our home, we have, we practice a Christian culture. Right? Amen? You come over to my house, and I tell you what, man, it's, we just have a Christian culture there. But I've heard many people say this, and I've, I've said it myself many times. I'm often surprised at the behavior of some folks who claim to be Christians. Huh? Right or wrong? Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty uh, non-judgmental guy. I really am. I know you might think me different when I'm preaching and all that, but in life, I'm, I, I just mind my own business. I don't make judgments. I try to put myself in other people's shoes. Where's Tony Coleman at? Tony, where'd you go? Tony, one of my all-time favorite Bible verses you touched on yesterday was Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. That means this. When you consider somebody, you absolutely put yourself in their shoes to try to understand what they're going through before you make your judgments. Before you say, I can't believe that person did that, you ought to find out what that person's situation is. That's consideration. I try to live that way. I don't always live that way, but I try to. So I try not to make judgments. I try not to be ugly. However, I find myself saying, man, I can't believe that person treats that person like that, and that person claims to be a Christian. I can't believe I stopped by that person's house, and I haven't been by any of your houses. But I cannot believe what they were allowing their children to watch on TV. I don't say that to anybody. I don't even say it to Mrs. Janizzi because I would never want to temper her her, her thinking towards somebody. But I think it. Me thinks it. Huh? I can't help not to. I may not tell somebody else, but I say, mm, man, wow. I'm surprised by that. Why? Because they claim to be Christian, but their behavior just doesn't seem to be consistent with a Christian's beliefs or behaviors or values. Are you with me? Huh? Now, I must say this. I've read the Bible enough to know that there's no word stamped perfect on Abraham's resume. When you look at Abraham's resume, Bob, perfect doesn't come up. In fact, he was anything but. Are you with me? He, he, he didn't come from a perfect family. Uh, in fact, when you read about it, his father, his father's name was, anybody know his father's name? Tira, 
And you know what Tiber was? His, his vocation? He used, he used to make idols. So Abraham grew up in the home of an idol maker. His father wasn't perfect. His great, his grandfather, great, 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 you can go back as far as you want. There's no perfection. And I said that to say this, there's no perfect families. Look here, look here, pay attention to this. I've been around long enough and in church long enough to know this. Dr. Riddell, I think you'd agree, every family gets messy once in a while. And we don't come out and broadcast it. Uh, I don't come up here and say, hey, folks, pray for me. Donna and I had a knockdown drag out this week. I'll tell you what, I almost threw her out. You know, I slept in the shed a couple of nights. I just couldn't put up with her. No. But look here, I mean to tell you, Donna and I have an unbelievable relationship, marriage and friendship and all that. We, we're, we've been married a long time. But there are times when, I just tell you the truth, she drives me nuts. <laughs> Huh? I want to say to her, she's not listening right now, woman, would you just be quiet? Huh? Right? My daughter Nicole's sitting there laughing because, yeah, we love her to death. And I know there's times if she can get away with it, I'd be dead. If she can kill me and resurrect me, I have been dead and resurrected a million times. Go ahead, say praise the Lord to that, amen. Yeah, yeah. That's just facts, right? You can say it about yourself. Look here, there's no... Per- so sometimes we come to church and we look at the Austin... Aren't they perfect? They're a bunch of sinners. <laughs> right? We say that about every family. Look at Dr. and Mrs. Riddell. You don't think after being married 105 years, they've had a couple of... <laughs> they've had a couple of... Right? Huh? I never forget this, uh, Brother, Sh- Brother Riddell. I became the pastor of Dr. Fred and Mrs. Schindler. You remember the Schindlers? I'll never forget after I became their pastor, he retired, became a member of my church. Mrs. Schindler said to me, and I love Bonnie. Bonnie was a wonderful lady, very spiritual. Mrs. Schindler said to me, I am so thankful to finally have a pastor. Her husband was the pastor all those years. And she said, I'm so thankful to finally have a pastor. And I said, oh boy, what am I in store? I hope I don't have to counsel these people, man, you know? But we all have, we all have messy lives at times. Perfection is not However, 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 there ought to be a sincerity about what we say we believe. There ought to be a sincerity about the way we practice our faith. Huh? You've heard this before. I've heard it many, many times. When God measures a person, it's not based upon, you know, what they've accomplished or what they've accumulated. Huh? It's always based upon what they've become. God measures character and integrity. He puts the measuring tape around the heart, not around the head. <laughs> but when you look in society at some of our families and you look at their culture, their culture could be described as competitive or accumulative. And it's all about, pay attention right here, it's all about building that winner at all costs. If you got to cheat, manipulate, whatever you have to do to get to the top, that's society. That's what you do. And that's what society many times is teaching their children. And that's why we live in a doggy dog world. Right? It ought to be, it ought to be where we're trying to build character and integrity in our children's lives. 
And the way we do that is by expressing that in our own lives. Amen? Look here, you know this is true. Our children will do what we say to a certain extent, but ultimately they will become what we are. Huh? I want to tell you something, folks. Listen to this for what it's worth. You really need to be careful in what you say around your children and what you do around your children because they pick up on everything. When you go home and you start to say, man, I tell you what, that church this and that person this and that Sunday school teacher that, and I can't believe that sister this, they're picking up on all of it. They're listening to all of it. And what you're doing is, is you're influencing the next generation. And that's why some of our young people want nothing to do with church because they heard it coming out of your mouth. That's, a, that's not a good culture. Not a good culture to have in your home. Not at all. And so over the next week, two weeks, three weeks, I want, us, I want us to try to see if we can't build a foundation to strengthen our families. And I want us to look just for a couple of minutes, and I promise this will just take a couple of minutes, at Ephesians chapter number four. Everybody with me? Yeah. Look at Ephesians chapter number four. And, and let me just read a couple of verses. Look at verse 22. The, Paul says this, uh, verse 21. If so be that ye have heard of him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus that ye put off concerning, concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceits, uh, deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So what he's saying here is this. Here's what Paul is saying. We need, to, we need to turn from our old way of thinking and our old way of doing and now begin to think and do differently because we're in Christ. Amen. Do you see that? And if we were to just jump into this, and I promise you over the next couple of weeks we'll build this, but I just want to touch on it this morning, kind of just to whet your appetite. He begins to say in verse 29 down to verse 32, he begins to share with us some characteristics, I believe, some characteristics that will help to develop the right culture in our home, in our family. Look what he says. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of, highlight this word, what's that word? Edifying. Edifying. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. By the way, by the way, let's be fair with this text. Right away, we would think about cussing, right? No, don't, don't have vulgarity, but it's more than that. Corrupt communication could be gossip. It could be slander. It could be derogatory. It could be negative. It, it could be anything that would undercut anything that would, would minimize, anything that would knock the blocks out of the person you're, you're talking with or influencing. So in this case, our children, right? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Don't allow your children. Don't, not, don't knock the blocks out from under your kids. Why would you want to hinder your children's faith by criticizing being negative toward God or God's people or God's program. doesn't make sense. Right or wrong? Huh? Instead, instead he said this, look at verse 29 again, but instead that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In other words, what he's saying is that we would, we would say about that word edifying, we would use the word encouragement. Encouragement. Are you with me? Encouragement. And I think this, I think 
Tony, you hit on this yesterday. We need to build a culture of encouragement in our home and families. Huh? Yeah. Let me tell you, we'll be, we get home. I know this. My home is an oasis. It's a, there's a culture of encouragement there. We're going to try to build each other up. Hello? And by the way, everybody needs encouragement. Moms and dads and teens and children, we all need encouragement, right? We do, especially the world we live in today. Hebrews 3 verse 13 says this, listen to this, listen to this, but exhort one another daily, exhort one another daily. I like that, while it's called today. Exhort one, we ought to daily in our homes, daily in our homes, try to encourage one another. Huh? <laughs> I love it. Donald, I promise you, this is the absolute fact. I stand before God right now telling you the absolute facts. That every single morning I get up, first one up in the house all the time, get up, I do my thing. You know, I have my devotions. That, and, then, and then Mrs. Nizzi will come down. I usually go up. She comes down. I shower. I dress. And when I come down, every single day, Every day, Mrs. Genizzi is there with her library. I mean, she's got something going on that I can hear. She's got her journal. She's got her Bible. She's got uh, her books that she reads. And I mean to tell you, she's going to town, man, having her time with God. I love that. That's encouraging. Huh? And she never says to me, oh, are you up again? Do I got to see? I got to look at you again? No, normally she'll say this. She'll say, you look nice this morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. And she'll say, what do you got going on today? You know, and we'll, we'll just have pleasant chatter and talk. And, you know, we need to encourage each other. Every day, daily. Now, we don't have the little ones running around anymore. So I'll usually say to my dog, you look good today. Not. <laughs> I don't do that. But when was the last time you just, daughter, son, in the morning? Hey, listen to this Bible verse I read this morning, son. Hey, Susie Q, listen to this Bible verse. You know what I prayed this morning? I prayed that God would give you such an amazing day. Now, she's a teenager, and la- you know what she's going to do? She's going to say, that's what teenagers do, you know? It's all facial expressions. They, you know, they woke up with a pimple. Everything's changed. Going to be a miserable day. We need, look here, man. We got to develop a culture of encouragement in our home because our kids don't get it much anywhere else. They go to school when they got friends that talk bad about them. You know, they come to church and even in a youth group, they get bullied and, huh? I'll tell you something. If I could become invisible and play the part of the Holy Spirit, I'd fix all of that. When that kid starts bullying the youth group, why make him trip and look like a fool? That kid at school starts talking bad about you, I'd expose their faults. I mean, I'd be mean. Because there ought to be no place for that in Christianity. Huh? Kids shouldn't have to come to church and get bullied. What? Are you serious? Look here. The only people who bully are people who are insecure with themselves. Yeah. Only people who are nasty, peers that are nasty, they're just jealous of you. 
Huh? Izzy. I mean, they start talking, look at Izzy's glasses. They wish they had glasses like yours. They wish they had uh, features like yours. They're just jealous. But that's what we have to put up with in our society. They shouldn't get that at home. They shouldn't get bullied by a parent. Huh? Kids shouldn't bully their parents. Oh, thank God you got a mom and dad. Are you with me? I said I wouldn't preach that, but I got a little excited. I'm sorry. Look at another, look at another, look at verse 30. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. I want to look at this word, sensitivity. Wow. Wow. There ought to be in our homes, there ought to be a sensitivity to God, sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Amen. See that word grieve? You know what that word grieve means? It means to offend. You know how we offend the Holy Spirit? By disobeying His Word. Huh? So we ought, in our home, look here, our homes ought to be a place where God feels comfortable and welcomed. Amen. Right? Huh? And that means this. That means, you know, when we, when we look at uh, things like our conversations, our entertainment, the activities in the home. Huh? Did you ever, did you ever see this? Do you, you ever walk into somebody's space and all of a sudden they shut their computer real fast? Look here, even if I was looking at something wrong, I wouldn't even, I would just turn it. I wouldn't shut it because I wouldn't want you to think I was looking at something wrong. But did you ever see that happen? Now you become an investigator. Now you're, now you're, what's his name, Friday? I was going to say Monday. What's the guy's name, Friday? Sergeant Friday? Don't act so stupid. You always act spiritual when I get secular. Look here, God ought to be able to walk in on any conversation, on any entertainment, whether it's music or whatever it might be, any activity, and just say, hey, what are we singing? What are we watching? What are we talking about? Huh? I mean, you see it all the time on TV. Somebody walks in the room, everybody gets quiet, and somebody says, you talking about me? We should be sensitive. And by the way, we should be sensitive to one another. Right? Hmm? Don't you agree? Selfishness can destroy the unity of a family and bring real tension into a family. Selfishness. And by the way, same thing in the church. Uh, when you got, always got to have it your way, this is another conversation for another day. But when it's always got to be my way. I don't like this. I don't like that. Right? If the church did everything that you wanted to do, what kind of church would we be? We name it after your name. To be the Nathan Baptist Church. And then look at one final thing. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye, now don't choke on this, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So the last thing I would say is this. There ought to be kindness, a culture of kindness and forgiveness in our homes, a culture of kindness and forgiveness in our home. Did you notice how with the word kindness is the word that they're kind of coupled together, kindness and forgiveness, kind of go together? Have you ever noticed how many families are destroyed? I mean, just torn apart because of an unforgiving spirit or an unforgiving attitude? Huh? I mean, somebody did something to somebody, and man, that's it. They're done. I'll never talk to them again. I'll never look at them again. I'll never... Really? 
Hmm. Look here. Being wronged is a part of life. Who in this room has never been wronged? Go ahead and stand up. Let me ask you to go to the li- lobby, and before you leave today, we'll change that. <laughs> Being wrong is just part of life. Kids don't understand that. Children, you know, they come up, they get into the years where they start to understand things, and they think every, everything ought to be fair. Right? They go to school, that teacher ought to like them as much as they love that one and like that one. And... But you know what? I hope early on they learn that life's not fair. And they're going to get wronged, and they're going to be defrauded. It's just the way it is. And if we'd be honest, we don't even, we're not only wrong, but we wrong other people. Sometimes inadvertently and sometimes intentionally. Just, it's just life, right? And that happens in families. That happens in family life. It happens. What do you do? Well, if there's a culture of kindness and forgiveness, it helps us to get past the hurt. Right? It helps us get past the hurt. Why hold on to it? You're going to hurt yourself again. You're going to let that person hurt you again by holding on to it, by harboring it, by thinking about it. I'm going to let them hurt me again. It's just not worth it. I think this. I think it's just right to admit that you've been wronged. It's right to admit that you have wronged. And I think it's right to forgive and show kindness. Amen? Amen. No doubt about it. And so I think, you know, Paul nails it. He talks about, you know, some characteristics that we ought to try and develop in our family, a culture, a culture of encouragement. No? And I know some of you think, Pastor, if I start this, my kids are going to look at me strange. You've got to start someplace. You've got to start someplace. Instead of always pointing out the negatives, point out the positive. Try to be empowering rather than demoralizing when it comes to your youth. Culture of encouragement, right? Culture of sensitivity, being sensitive one to another, right? A culture of forgiveness, kindness and forgiveness. Man, if we can develop that in our home, at least we know there's one place where we can go and everything be okay, (laughs) right? Don't you agree? I think this, it comes down to this. We need to develop a culture of togetherness in our home and family. Togetherness. I heard about this young fellow who said to his dad one day, they were just, you know, he said to his dad, he said, Dad, where, where were you born? And his father said, I was born in Kentucky. Hmm. He said, where was mom born? And the father said, mom was born in Indiana. He said, where was I born? He said, you were born in Georgia. He said, how about my sister? He said, she was born in Alabama. And that little fellow chuckled and grinned. And he said, isn't it neat how God brought us all together? Huh? Now, that will work when we get into the church part. Isn't it neat how God brought us all together? I mean, who's from here? Who's from there? Who likes this? Who likes that? Isn't it neat how God brought us all together? But you know, that's such a case in the family. God can bring us all together if we work at it. That's family togetherness. So, hometown focus. We're going to focus on the family. And we're going to try to strengthen I love that Bible verse over in in Revelation where it says, strengthen the things that remain, right? And I'll tell you why, while you have your children in the home, while they're still coming up, man, we ought to develop that kind of a culture that sends them out strong in the Lord, focusing our attention this year on our families. Amen?
If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.